We're going to hear one more song. <laughs> and this is a familiar one. Keep what you got until you get what you need, y'all. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. that i love that give me the bridge now where did that come from that is so cool and i'm not i don't even know why it is so cool but it just is well you know why it's so cool i stole it from james brown (laughs) that was the father of go-go and national heritage fellow chuck brown talking about the song that put him on the map bustin loose Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Chuck Brown is a musician with deep roots in Washington, D.C. He's the creator of the music genre Go-Go, a style of music that's indigenous to D.C. It is beloved in the city, and while it's traveled around the world, no one has embraced the music like the folks in the district. But people all over have embraced Chuck Brown. He's recorded more than 20 albums and sold over 1.5 million records since his first hit, We the People, in 1971. Still, it's Chuck's live performances that set him apart. Go-Go is a musical style that feeds off the audience. It relies on call and response, the audience and the musicians interacting. And it's fused with funk, Latin rhythms, and hip-hop, all tied together with a relentless beat. Although music always had a part in Chuck Brown's life, he developed his musical chops in an unlikely place, Lorton Penitentiary, Washington, D.C.'s main correctional institution. Everybody know I've been to jail, you know what I'm saying? And out of all the other institutions that I've been through, uh, they only taught me one thing, how not to go back to those same institutions again. But when I went to Lorton, that's where I found myself. That's where a lot of inmates found themselves. You were presented with all kinds of opportunities, you know. You could learn a trade. Guys have come out of there and became lawyers. Uh, I got serious about music while I was down there because I've been around music all my life. And everybody in my family could play some kind of instrument, harmonica. You know, we from the South, from North Carolina, you know. Walk up down the old country roads, playing your guitar or you blowing your harmonica or playing your accordion. My mother, she played an accordion, and she played a harmonica, and she played a, a little bit of piano. And I played a little bit of piano when I was seven years old. By the time I was uh, 13, I didn't play piano anymore. I left home at a very early age. But when I got to Lorton, that's where I found myself. Your family moved to the D.C. area when you were a kid. Yes, ma'am. We migrated up here. I was born in Gaston, North Carolina. My mother took me to Charlotte at the age of uh, six months, she said, and she got a living job as a maid. She was making $7 a week, uh, no, $6 a week as a maid. And uh, she met my stepfather, and he took us to to Richmond, Virginia. That's where I started school in Richmond and uh, started playing a little piano at the Seventh-day Adventist Church down on 7th Street in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And then my father had a job. My stepfather had a job of what I say my father, you know what I'm saying, because he's the only daddy I know. 
And he had a job working at the Lucky Strike cigarette factory. Seven bucks a week was what he was making. But he brought home about $40 a week worth of cigarettes. Cigarettes were 10 cents a pack then. He sold them two packs for 15 cents. And uh, that's how he made a little money and fed us, you know. And your mother used to take you around singing. Yes, ma'am. Yes, she did. And those were good old days. I was about two, three years old. You know, I can remember some of that stuff, but I, yeah, I can't remember where this place is. I can't remember what happened yesterday, you know. But I have long, long memories of it. Uh-huh. And uh, she used to take me around to different houses and different little churches. And I used to sing, uh, you know, with my mother. We'd be singing those little spiritual songs, you know, and people would just, oh, that little boy going to be something one day when he grew up. <laughs> and uh, he used to take up, he used to feed us, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we used to feed us, and that's all I wanted was some food. But they used to take up a little collection for us, too, you know. So that's sort of where the house party yes, started. Ma'am. Exactly. I mean, when you were at two and three. That's right. Yes, indeed. What gave you the motivation to focus on your music while you were in Lorton? I'll tell you, I didn't have anything else to do except obey the rules. And uh, I was good at helping other guys stay out of trouble, you know what I mean? And guys want to fight, and some of them had little knives and something like that. I was good at stopping that. And I enjoyed stopping that. I know I've accomplished something, you know what I mean? So uh, I learned how to play that guitar, really. I got serious about it within about six months. A uh, young man named Scotty, Bill Walker, Shannon, uh, these guys were three great guitar players. Used to play with Count Basie, Duke Ellington. You know, they played with a lot of the big bands. And I sat there and watched those guys. And they showed me a few chords, and I never forgot what they showed me. Because I never learned how to read music. You know, it was all come from here. You know, come from inside. So within six months' time, I was good enough to get on the show. So this was a show put on by prisoners inside the prison. Yes, ma'am. Showtime every Saturday over the auditorium uh, was uh, five o'clock. Child time on Saturdays was five o'clock. So it got to the point, if I was on the show, you know, Peter Green was a disc jockey, and he broadcasted on the loudspeakers all over. If I was on the show at 5 o'clock, it wouldn't be nobody in the mess hall. They were all there to see you. Absolutely. And that's what made me know that, hey, when I get out of here, I know what I'm going to do this time, you know? How did it feel when you when you stood up on the it's stage the greatest there? feeling in the world. Of course, nervous, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm always nervous right now. I, every time I hit the stage, I'm nervous. But once I get into it, it's all it's all gone. You know what I'm saying? It's all. It, once I get into it, when I hit that stage, I become enraged. I know I'm on the right page, so I forget about my age. <laughs> <laughs> so it got to the point that's where it was. They changed the child time to 7:30, and uh, that, that was a thrill to me. That was. Really, I said, I knew I'm gonna do something when I get out here this time. You know. What were you playing then? What were you singing then? I was singing uh, blues and. Uh, Ballads, jazz. One of, one of the first ballads I did was uh, My Funny Valentine. <laughs> I love that, that song. song. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, when I recorded it, I did it on, on a go-go groove. I like to do jazz on a go-go beat, you know. And I learned how to play a little jazz, and blues is my roots, of course, blues and gospel. I learned how to play a little jazz, and I, I decided to incorporate it in that go-go groove. You said you got a guitar while you were in Lorton. How mm-hmm. how did you get a guitar? A young man named Bunny. I can't I can't remember his last name, but his name was Bunny. That's a funny name for a man. Bunny in jail, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had to have but been he tough. Did, he's a great he was a great guy, a great guy. Everybody loved him. Great guy. Uh, he made me a guitar in the carpenter shop. I hope he's listening. He made me a guitar in the carpenter shop for five cartons of cigarettes. 
And I sat there on my bunk and I plucked with it and plucked with it and guys came up and showed me a few cards. It was easy for me to learn because, you know, once you know something about keyboard, you can go to most any instrument, you know. I could have been a trumpet player. I had a, a bugle. My mother bought it for me, the Salvation Army. And uh, I used to wake everybody up in the, in, the, uh, in the area every morning. We lived there on J Street in Fairmont Heights, Maryland. And uh, I used to come out <laughs> in the morning time. I mean, my, my chops got strong, you know. A little boy could, could blow that bugle, you know. Actually, I wanted a trumpet so I could really learn to play. If I'd had a trumpet, I might have been a trumpet player because I had developed, you know, you have to develop that not there on your top lip yet. And that's what I did. I had all of that. And my chops got real strong. And said, that boy going to get, boy, once you get a real horn. <laughs> the, the people in the neighborhood, they didn't complain. Wake him up on time, 6 o'clock in the morning, you know. I'm ready to go to school anyway. You and Louis Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you got out of prison. You knew what you wanted to do. You wanted to play music. Absolutely, yes, ma'am. I knew exactly what I was going to do when I got out. I got out, I made parole, and uh, when I took that guitar with me, and I used to play in people's backyards, cookouts, and things like that, and people would invite me to their house. Chuck was going to be over our house this week. Uh, when I left Law, and the guys were telling me, he said, uh, Charlie Brown, we don't want to see you back in here. I said, well, you will see me back in here. Oh, yeah? I said, yeah, I'm coming back down here to play for you guys. And I went back down there for, off and on for like 15 years and gave a nice show for them, you know, and right out on the field, on, on the ball diamond. And a lot of the guys that um, were down there then, they, you know, they're out, and they're old guys like me, you know. And some of them are musicians, and some of them are lawyers. You go down the courthouse right now, you'll see a couple of them that were down there with me. <laughs> <laughs> lawyers, you know what I mean? Where you could play music was restricted. Right, I was on, on parole, parole, and I wasn't allowed to play in any places that sold alcoholic beverages. I, I was only allowed to play in places like, you know, churches and recreation centers and schools. And I did that. I played a little cookhouse, uh, acoustic guitar. People just called me up. Uh, Chuck, come on. Come to our house this weekend. Uh, we got some barbecue and beer for you. I said, all right. And all the liquor I want to drink, you know. And the next week, somebody would invite me to their house. Next week, somebody invite me to their house. So, And uh, finally, people was telling me, said, Chuck, you good enough to get in the band. Why don't you, why don't you join the band? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay. And I joined a group called the uh, Earls of Rhythm. And uh, my man Jesse... He, it was his band, you know, and he used to uh, uh, give me instructions and tell me what songs that we needed to learn, that I needed to learn and play. And then after that, I left him, I went with a group called the Los Latinos. And that gave you that Latin beat. There you go. This is the idea. This is when I left them, I took that idea with me. And uh, Joe Manley, Thomas Smith, and um, Paul Hawkins, they were the three most popular Latin players and dancers in the city. And I grew up with Joe Manley. So Joe asked me to come on and get in his group and he had lost his keyboard player. I said, man, I can't replace no keyboard player when I'm no guitar, man. He said, yes, you can, Chuck. All you need is confidence in yourself, man. Just, you can do it. Just learn these songs and, and come on and play with my band. So I learned about five, six songs and I got in his band and uh, went down very good and I've stayed with him about a year and a half and people were telling me to get my own band um, I said, okay, I'll try that. And I, 1966 was when I started putting my band together. And that's the Soul Searchers. The Soul Searchers. And then as time went on, the fans and the uh, the radio station started calling me uh, Chuck Brown the Soul Searcher. What was music like in D.C. then? 
Uh, top 40, Rhythm and Blues. All the bands did Rhythm and Blues. Back in those days, original tunes were hard to to present to to the fans. At that time, they didn't know what you was playing if it had, you know, hadn't been played on the radio. So it was kind of hard for them to accept it. So everybody had to do Top 40. And the band that the bands that did it, you know, did Top 40 the best and the closest to the record, those was one that lasted long and got the most work. And if you didn't do James Brown, of course, you might not get that gig no more. He's my idol. So uh, we got to be pretty good doing the Top 40. We worked quite regularly. There was one point in time where we worked uh, seven nights a week. I used to play three, four hours a night. The money wasn't that great, but you work seven nights, you're going to be okay. <laughs> that little bit of money added up. <laughs> yeah. Did you have an yen to do your own music? Absolutely. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I was working on that. I was working on some originality and writing some tunes. So in 1969, I started writing a tune. I wrote a tune called uh, We the People. And uh, we, we didn't record it until uh, 71. And it came out in 72. And it was a nice hit. And then we wrote an, I wrote another tune called Blow Your Whistle through the inspiration of a young man named uh, Max Kidd. He was a great producer around town. And I learned a lot from Max. We the People was a good hit. And then we came back with uh, Blow Your Whistle. He said, uh, Max told me, he said, man, you know, the kids riding around here are bicycles and uh, blowing whistles and things. I think you ought to hook up something. I'd write a song about Blow Your Whistle. I said, okay. And I did that. I sat down and wrote, put a few hooks together, and there it was, you know. Well, 76 is when Go-Go really took a hold. And that's when I wrote Bustin' Loose. And we played it from 76 to 78 uh, before we we recorded it. And came out in 78, gigantic hit all now, over the country. I do want to talk about Bustin' Loose. But here's what I want to ask you. I really would love you to talk about Go-Go. And if somebody had never been to Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and you had to describe Go-Go to them, well, it's just another form of funky music. That's number one. Number two, that uh, Latin African sound was the idea that I, I took from the Los Latinos and uh, added them big Congos in there to mix that Latin with that African feel and did Top 40 with that. And then we'd break down. It got to the point we'd break down. This was in 76. Of course, we was breaking down before 76, but they really caught on in 76 when Grover Washington came out with a tune called Mr. Magic. And that beat that beat that they had. I recognized that it had a spiritual feel to it because that was the beat that the saints in our church used to jump and shout off. And it was real fast. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody jumped and shouting. You know? And that was the beat that I wanted. And it, it worked perfectly. 78, we recorded that Buster Loose. It came out in 78. And it was a gigantic hit uh, in the country and, and across uh over, over to Europe. Uh, then after that, I had a few problems, you know, before I came up with anything else. Back to Go-Go, because Chuck, not many people have developed mm -hmm. an entire genre of music. Yes. Uh, that is so rare. Yes. Did you know what you were doing when you were doing it? Well, yes, ma'am. I was trying to create a sound of my own, and uh, but it ended up being a sound for the town, all the other bands jumping on it, you know, everybody like that groove, you know, break down and you call the response to the people, you know, and, and, and that and that's what it's about. And it just goes and goes. You know, got to the point we didn't have to do more, no more ballads, didn't have time to do no ballads. Everybody want to stay on the float. Uh, once you come through that door, <laughs> you're going to get on the float. <laughs> and you started the shout out. That's it. 
and started calling their names out. They love that, you know. Dedicating special dedication to this person, that person. To parts of the city, neighborhoods? Yes, ma'am. And to the people in the audience, you know, you call somebody's name out. Yeah, make people feel good when you call their name. Oh, he said my name, you know what I mean? I feel the same way. Somebody say my name. And uh, back in those days, you know, the little kids, man, they had those buckets. They had pots and pans. And they had the best rhythm you ever wanted to hear. The minute you hear it, you're going to move. That's what, that's what Go-Go is designed to make you move. Now, where did the name Go-Go come from? I just thought of it because, you know, you got nightclubs, uh, Go-Go club, Go-Go girls dancing in the club. But there uh, was no Go-Go music, so I decided to call it Go-Go music simply because it don't stop. We just keep going and going and going. And I've seen people, I got some cousins in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, one is about 94, another one is about 91, and, and uh, let's see, 88, 89. Uh, they've been arguing about, I'm some kin to them. And they see me on TV and went, that's Lila's boy. We used to feed him, change his <laughs> diapers. <laughs> wow, I got AC for what, 65 years or so, more than that, maybe 70 years or more, you know. So finally, we got to meet, we got to know each other. And they got on that floor dancing the go-go. They didn't think that they were going to stay on that floor that long, you know. And 90-something years old. And they stayed on the floor the whole time we played. We played about maybe hour 45 minutes down in Richmond. And they stayed on the floor. They said, hey, never had that much exercise since they've <laughs> they been in the world. When you started playing, there were still tables and chairs in clubs. Tables and chairs, yes, ma'am. And everybody used to come in there, dressed all up. You know, ladies come in with their mink coats and things. And the f- fellas with their suits and neckties and things. And everybody sit around until they got a little tipsy. We up there playing, you know. Might do a little jazz, you know, just warm them up. Uh, they're relaxing. Uh, but as soon as we started that go-go thing, and as soon as they hear that beat, next few weeks... They were coming in. No mink coats, no suits and ties. Tables and chairs moved out the way because they started dancing on top of the tables and chairs. So they had to get them out of there. All the tables and chairs was gone. Nothing but people on the floor. Party. Wind me up, Chuck. <laughs> well, you kind of took a house party and you brought it to a club. Yes, that's the way it was. One great big family affair. And we're going to hear a little cut now from a cover that you did and it's a very famous song you covered it but boy did you make it your own so i want us to hear a little bit all right okay Yes, and I changed the lyrics. You know, I had to change those lyrics. You listen to it, and you know that it's Deo, but (laughs) it's not a Deo that you've ever heard before. Right. Uh, That's what I was feeling, and uh, with that particular rhythm, you know, and uh, with the percussion in there, it made it quite different uh, from from the original. I was excited about it, 
We had a lot of fun doing it, I tell you that. And how much fun was it to write Bustin' Loose? It took me like two years to get Bustin' Loose to, to where I wanted it. I changed the lyrics a hundred times. I wrote Bustin' Loose, and we played it from 76 to 78 uh, before we, we recorded it. Were you scared I, somebody was going to steal it and record it ahead I, I, of you? Yeah, I was scared of that, too. I, I had to change um, a couple of drummers in order to get the beat the way I wanted. Because when we finally got the drummer that I, I needed, uh, it was little Ricky Wellman. I called him Sugarfoot. His dad was my first drummer when I put my band together. He was like five, six years old, and uh, he was a good little drummer then. So his dad said, one day uh, he might be playing with you, you know. And he was right. And so when Rick came in that night to sit in with us, he was about 19 years old, and I told him to play this one particular beat because the drummer that I had, he, he wasn't feeling it, you know. He was a jazz drummer, a great drummer. But go-go is so simple. At that point in time, a lot of people didn't want to, didn't want to play it, you know? What's the beat? Can you... And it goes on all night long. You can play a hundred songs off that one beat. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Rick sat down, you know, Rick got fast hands and everything he plays up-tempo back at that time. When he got with us, it was disco, and disco was happening. So when he sat in with us, and I told him, don't, don't get busy. Don't play the whole, all that stuff, you know. Just play that one beat, that one groove, and hit that crash cymbal, and then close up on the side. Boom, 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 You know what I'm saying? And he did exactly that. He said, but, hey, Chuck, I told him, man. I feel so empty. I, yeah, but look at the flow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. Look at the flow. <laughs> it's all yeah. about the beat. Yes, ma'am. It's all about the beat. My drummer, Congo player, bass, that's your backbone. They're the ones that holds it together. Everything on top, coloring, you know? Well, Chuck, what's it like when you go into a studio to record? Because Go-Go is so interactive, you really rely on the audience response in a lot of ways. Well, you have to be prepared, mentally prepared, and motivated, and, uh, you know, energetic in order to project that energy through that studio, through that microphone, and that's not an easy thing, so you have to feel what you're doing, and a lot of studios don't have, uh, no, you know, that atmosphere that you might be looking for. Some studios have that club at- atmosphere, which is a good atmosphere, but who knows whether you're going to get a good track or not, you know? It's hard to do go-go in a studio. It's hard, you see, because you don't have that crowd participation. And if you get a crowd in there, you know, if it's big enough, you can get a good feel, a good sound. It's it's not easy to get go-go out of a studio. Go-go, you know, is the best results is, is live. That's when you get really get into it. Studio, you have to know what you're doing. There's no freedom there. It's, it's thinking. you got to think, you know. You want to put things together in a neat way. Sometimes go-go can be too clean. You don't want it too clean, you know. Got to have a little, <laughs> little, <laughs> a little looseness in there, you know. A little grit. There you go, a little grit. Well, when you played music live, there was never a break. You kept that music going. No break, no break. We stopped doing slow songs. You know, we stopped doing ballads. They didn't want no more ballads. They wanted that beat. They wanted us to break it down. They didn't want a whole bunch of songs. We used to do 20, 24, 25 songs a night. But when we started that beat, we had to break it down. They didn't want us to stop do no slow song. And we broke that beat down and just call and response, holler back at the audience. They holler back at us. 
And later on, Boosie Collins came up with a song called uh, Wind Me Up. And I used to do the song exactly like him. And so as soon as we end the song, people start on Wind Me Up, Chuck. And uh, Wind Me Up, Chuck. I ended up doing the song three, four times a night. And they loved it. And so did I. <laughs> and ever since then, they've been hollering, wind me up. The minute I hit the stage, that's the first thing you hear. Wind me up, Chuck. I just love it. I'll never, ever get used to it. Now, Chuck, you also keep that drumbeat going between the songs. Right. So that it, it literally is relentless. It Absolutely. never stops. That's, that's go-go. That is go-go. Continuous call and respond, con- continuing that groove. Uh, you can come out of one song and go to another. I like I used, I like that mood is mood thing. That's why I arrange it like that. Uh, the go go swing thing. Uh, if you ain't, you know don't mean a thing if you ain't got a go go swing. Don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. That was that's original. When I put the go go swing in there and, and and it worked and it's still working. That's one of my favorite songs. I I, I never leave the stage without doing it. <laughs> Vinny and Sean known to party to dawn. They go doo-wop, doo-wop, doo-wop all night long. It don't mean a thing if it don't got to go, go swing. You go doo-wop, 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 doo-wop. We're going to do this one over, y'all. By a special request, y'all. You got that go, go swing. We're going to do it for Sean and Vinny of Harvard University. If any, uh, Vinny and Sean known to fight it to dawn. Well, you got a good shout out from Washington, D.C. It named a street after you, Chuck Brown Way. Oh, wow. That's better than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing can top that. Of all the awards that I've received over the past 35 years, that one. I think that one really got to me, you know. Uh, That's going to stay with me forever and ever. What is it about Go-Go that just speaks to Washington, D.C.? It keeps you going. It's originated here. It's theirs. It's ours. It was born here. Uh, It's become history here. And spread it across the country and across the world. And and I'm just so happy about that. Something that uh, was created here in this town. And, you know... The fans, is, they're the ones that also made it happen. You know, every time I hit the stage, it's just like the same energy just comes back, you know. And, uh, of course, I'm always a little nervous before I hit the stage. But uh, I hit that stage, I become enraged. I'm on the right page. I forget about my age. That was Chuck Brown, the father of Go-Go and National Heritage Fellow. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpt from Deo, based on the song by Irving Burgey and William Attaway, performed by Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, from the release, Go Go Swing Live, used courtesy of Future Records. Excerpt from It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Go Go Swing based on the song by Duke Ellington and Irving Mills, performed by Chuck Brown from the release We Got This, used courtesy of Raw Venture Records and Tapes, Inc. Excerpt from Bustin' Loose, composed by Chuck Brown, performed by Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, from the release Bustin' Loose.
used courtesy of Raw Venture Records and Tapes, Inc. Special thanks to manager Tom Goldfogel. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on Beyond Campus and look for the National Endowment for the Arts link. Next week, a conversation with artist Frank Stella. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. I feel like